Praise the Lord, everyone. Thanks for being here on a cold, stormy winter morning. God bless all of you. It is my pleasure because New Life Church, you might not know this, New Life is eight different congregations speaking three different languages, English, Spanish. Do you know we have a Chinese congregation? I was just at the Chinese congregation last night. They celebrated a Chinese New Year and they put on this big event and about 350 people came to New Life Church North and they had a Chinese, basically it was a service. They did lots of songs and dance. And then the gospel was presented to people that just came to a Chinese celebration because we had such a party going on. So praise the Lord for all the work being done in all the congregations. And it's my pleasure to invite someone today who is a pastor of New Life Downtown. Do you guys know New Life Downtown? They were the congregation. Some of you might remember this. Remember when the power went out in our building because trees fell on it? and we didn't have light and we didn't have heat and we were cold and lonely and poor and in need. And so we as a congregation, raise your hand if you were there, we went to New Life downtown and they hosted us and welcomed us in, the stranger, the cold, the weary. And so we are like a sister congregation with New Life uh, downtown and we are gonna go, uh, we're gonna join them on Ash Wednesday. You can put that in your calendar. We're gonna join them on Good Friday for those two two services. So uh, it's a great honor to welcome one of the pastors from New Life downtown. His name is Evan Redall, and he has been on staff for about 10 years. Before that, he was a volunteer with New Life downtown, and he literally represents, kind of embodies what it means to be a pastor at New Life Church, because I'll tell you this story. He just won out of like New Life, so it's eight different congregations, and we include all of our staff, like the children's staff, even the janitors, and uh, we don't even call them janitors, we call them hospitality, because they come in and they set or reset and, and make a room hospitable to the people that are coming to a gathering. And so all these people, about 200 people, out of all of them, Evan Riedel, this guy right here who's smiling in the front row, he is the employee of the year at New Life Church, and he really embodies what it means to make disciples in the Pikes Peak region by calling people to worship, connect, and to serve. He oversees, or has at least for a long time, oversees the small groups, ministry, and meals, uh, meal groups that New Life Downtown does. He started a one-on-one mentoring uh, program where people learn how to mentor others and people learn what it means to be mentored. And uh, the, the other day when he was announced as uh, the, the employee of the year, this you might be like, why are you embarrassing this guy? He's about to come up here and speak. Why would you embarrass the guest speaker. But I, I say this to honor you, Evan. Uh, so he, they announced him as the winner of the Employee of the Year, and he just started weeping, like, like humbled, honored. And then, of course, because he was weeping, guess what I started doing? I started, like, not just crying, but like, yes, Lord, you are so good, and your saints among us are so good. Thank you, Lord. So today, would you give, as a New Life Manitou family, a huge welcome to Pastor Pastor Evan Riedall. Wow. It's cold outside, but that warmed me right up. That was nice. Uh, it's great to be here, y'all. Um, we're gonna talk about the scriptures, Jesus. We're here because we love Jesus. We're here because he loves us. Um, thanks for that, that welcome. It really is. It's, it's a humbling. No, I know. <laughs> 
I'm not, I'm not like a crier, you know, like those people who cry at everything. Um, but I do feel like I'm alive, so I do cry a little bit. And that's a little bit of a jab if you're not a crier. Like, do some heart work, you know? It's good to cry. It's really, it's good to get it out there. So um, I'm gonna open in prayer. We're gonna open the scriptures in Matthew 5 and look at the verse where he talks about anger and then just see kind of what the Lord has for us today. So would you pray with me? Father God, the one who made this day, who sustains it, who fills it all in all, one who has sent your son, Jesus, who has come to show us the better way, your way, the way that leads to life, life eternal, the way that leads to the Father. Holy Spirit, you are here still, sent by the Father and the Son to remain with us, to fill us, to lead us, to remind us of all that you've taught us. We pray, remind us anew today of your word, of your way of life, that we would be in you, you and us. Where there's bondage, you would bring freedom. Where there's death, that you'd bring life. There's pain, that you'd bring healing. This would be the testimony of the day. That we're here, that you're here, that that has effect on us, to change us from glory to glory and ultimately to your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hear it's customary when we do some scripture reading at the very top to stand. So would you stand with me? We're gonna read through the text of the day as we're doing a series through the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. And I, we're, I'm accustomed to the CEB translation, Common English Bible, so my apologies if it's thrown off. It's up here too, so welcome if you've never heard of it before. I think it's great, okay. Um, starting verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder. And all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they will haul you before the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer of the court and you will be thrown into prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. The word of the Lord you may be seated. Dude, there's one who knew. I didn't know. I went for it. I just I took a shot that you would know a refrain on that one. Please be seated, guys. Um, this, is a, this text in Matthew is really fascinating. There's, there's a whole setup that's been happening in the movement up until this point in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is saying. And the whole of the theme starts and, and is repeated with, blessed are we and who we are in our identity in God and in Christ. That when Jesus is laying out the foundational work of what he's really getting at with the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with blessed are we. And he goes through what we refer to as the Beatitudes, where he lists all these conditions of our lives that we would think 
Yeah, that's not really the blessed life, to be poor or, or to be meek or to uh, you know, be the one who is hungry and thirsty. Like That's not the blessed life, but he comes and he takes it and he reframes it to, to show this example of, yes, you are in these conditions of lacking, but I am in the condition of providing an abundance of, and in that space, you'll see me show up and fill in so that you are not beyond my blessing, but my blessing even extends to you. If you are morning, the blessing of my comfort is extended to you and you are blessed. If you are hungry, you are still blessed in who I am in my kingdom and you will be filled. And there's this idea that, well, maybe because of my, my status in life or my situation in life, I'm outside of the Lord's blessing. And he ends up coming and reframes it so that it can't be something tangible that we have. It's not our house or our bank account or our car or our clothes or something that we would look at in the world's ways and say, oh, that's the blessed life. That's the blessed person. He says, no, it's none of that. The blessing is in me. You are blessed because of me. And this is his whole foundational point. And then he switches our identity even where he looks at this, I'm I'm assuming ragtag is a fairly accurate idea in that era of people, 5,000 or plus that are on the Sermon on the Mount listening to Jesus's words all of them going, okay, you have something great to say. What is it? And he turns it on them and he says, you are blessed and you are the salt and you are the light. And he redefines their identity in that moment that the kingdom is theirs, that they are included. And not only are they included, but they're now carriers of this kingdom into all of the world and what they do and how they do it and representing God and his word and his deed and his character to all of the world. And so he goes and he redefines our very status and our very identity in him, that we are the blessed ones, that we are the salt, that we are the light. And then in light of that, he has all these New commands, this, this, this section of text right before these verses on anger, he talks about the, the new way of, of coming about it. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, Jesus says. And then he gets into six different refrains all in a row where he starts with, you have heard it said, and he lists some command from the Old Testament. And then he talks about now in light of this kingdom that is yours, that you are the blessed ones, that you are the light, that you are the salt, that I have not come to abolish it, to fulfill it. Now that this kingdom is yours, how then shall you live? Now that salvation is yours, that grace is yours, that the love of God is for you and that there are no outsiders, that is for everyone, there is then a way to respond in life that agrees with the way of God and righteousness that we see in Christ. And so that's how he's setting this whole text up. Um, And to set it up for us today, I I haven't seen you all since COVID. So some of you I know, and it's been a long time and too long, and I'm so glad to see your faces. And some of you, I got to, COVID messed with everything, right? And so I got to come like once a year, and it was really lovely to to Manitou Springs. And then COVID, you know, like that, what was that? Okay. And I haven't seen you for a while. Uh, and in the midst of that time, we've, we've you know, tried our best, New Life Downtown. We went to five different locations just trying to figure out where can we even meet right now. Uh, and finally, on the night. but I also had a, another child in the midst of that time. So my name is Evan, all of those things that Joe said. And I have three boys just trying to keep up with the Kirkendalls. Uh, I think we're done at three, but we, we made it that far. Uh, so our newest guy was born last July. And so we have a seven-year-old William, a four-year-old, his name is Alistair, and then our new guy's name is Owen and he's six months, almost seven months old. And so there are things from my childhood that are coming back. 
And it's a really interesting thing to see those things come back. I went a solid 20 years plus without eating McDonald's. <laughs> Thank you, right, and it felt good. It felt good and right. And now I have kids where I'm like, mm, happy meal, that just, that was my childhood dream and I can live it through you vicariously. So yeah, let's go get a happy meal. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, any other parents in here get suckered into your childhood re again? Yeah, you guys must. You, do, do you guys eat more McDonald's than you ever thought you would as an adult? I don't know if that's just me. Yeah, stay away from it. We do, it's not a try, it's just there. It's the convenience of it. Uh, but something else that's come into my life uh, is some of those TV shows from my childhood that are back, like The Magic School Bus. We were just watching that the other day because we always tell them, like, Daddy, can we watch a show? Only if it's educational. And then they have to figure out, like, what does that mean and what can we watch this? <laughs> so Magic School Bus, it's great. There's a new series of it. Uh, and another thing that has come into our lives is Mr. Rogers. He's back, full circle, right? We all love it. We have the warm fuzzies. You just thought about it. You might have grown up on it. If you're old enough, your kids grew up on him. He's been around forever, and now the new version of Mr. Rogers is Daniel Tiger, so it's a cartoon, but that tiger was a puppet in Mr. Rogers. It's, it's all beautiful. It's all interconnected. My kids have no idea. They just, I'm, we're, they're learning things. It's educational for them. That's all that matters right there. Mr. Rogers has a core of it that he grew up not being able to express his emotions, and if you ever watch documentaries about Mr. Rogers, it's really fascinating and uh, there's one called Won't You Be My Neighbor that's on some streaming service. You should watch it, it's, it's really lovely. But his inability from his childhood home to express emotion led to, as an adult, uh, the keen insight and ability to try to help kids express theirs. And I think, as adults, we still need that help today. And he has a specific episode that was from the 60s when he was on local TV, uh, and then became on, went to PBS, and it's still in Daniel Tiger today. This song still happens. Uh, but the refrain of it is, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And it's a really interesting question that he poses, but then he presents it as a song. And, and this song is so powerful that in 1969, he was called before a Senate Judiciary Committee to determine if public television should continue to get government funding. And you can find it on YouTube, it's really beautiful. And he's, he goes before the Senate and this committee and they're trying to ask him like, give, tell us all the reasons, justify why we should be giving you all money. And he goes through, this is my mission, this is what I do. And here's an example of a song that I have and it's what do you do with the mad that you feel? So he is talking to these adults about what is the benefit of helping kids understand that their emotions are there, that they're God-given, but then what we do with them is really the kicker. And this is the first line in his, his song. What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. The whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. And that's the tension I think we get put in with this verse. That Jesus, in light of the kingdom is yours, you are the blessed ones, you are the ones included in this kingdom, you are the carriers of this kingdom to all the world, the salt and the light. Now what do we do? And the first thing that he turns his attention to is asking a question and addressing how do we handle the anger that we feel and the way that we treat each other within that anger. And these are the verses. It starts in 521. We'll read it again. You have heard that it was said to you that those who lived long ago don't commit murder 
and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brothers or sisters will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. If they say you fool, they'll be in danger of a fiery hell, which what Jesus ends up doing over and over with these, you've heard it said, but I say to you, is going from an action to the heart of the matter. He pivots from, you've heard it said, don't do or do this, but what I'm telling you is your heart condition is really what I'm interested in right now. So it's not just you're committing of murder, but it's the anger even behind that or the resting heart posture behind that that really concerns me the most. And so I wanna look at this and first ask the question, what is anger? What is anger that we feel? I, uh, I had the, the joy of, of going to Denver Seminary for a degree in pastoral counseling, and we talk a lot about anger. And one of the first things in the counseling world that they will tell you about anger is that anger is a presenting emotion. That when you feel anger, when you have anger within you, that what it is actually doing is masking an emotion that's behind it or just fronting that emotion that's behind it. And I, I was just talking to a newlywed couple and they were talking about how her upbringing, she knows 100 words to describe her emotions and his, he has like three. It's, it's, it's happy and it's sad and it's angry, you know? Like that's the extent of, yeah, those are the emotions I know. How you doing? And it's one of those three. He just gets them every time, uh, which I was laughing because I'm like, well, in my training, that would actually tell me you only have two emotions and then you have anger, obviously, which then masks the, the sad part that you don't wanna feel. But that is a presenting emotion. And if you think about that, if you work back on anger, that there is going to be beside, behind it something and the way that you're being treated or the situations that you're facing, that that anger is actually what's coming out, but what's actually within deeper is maybe fear or pain or insecurity or disrespect or being unloved and that feeling of being unloved or that feeling of inadequacy, that there's something going on way deeper that is so hard or undesirable or unpleasant or just it's, it, we don't know what to do with that, but then the way that it gets expressed is an anger at one another. A second thing that I think what is anger is anger is an effort to control. So not only is it a presenting emotion of there's something deeper going on when we're talking about anger and Jesus is saying, I'm looking at anger. You said, you heard murder, I'm saying anger because I'm looking at your heart. So let's go deeper with that there's a presenting emotion there of something even deeper, but then then it's an effort for control. Um, I I dated one time in my life before I I met and married my wife. Uh, And it was what it was, but obviously it didn't, you know, work out. So my wife affectionately calls her she who shall not be named. And it's like, eh, I don't, okay, whatever. But when when that relationship ended, um, it, it was really hard because I remember, I, I'm a really peaceable guy, but the amount of anger that I felt in that space uh, w- was just intense. Uh, and it finally got to a point where one night, I, I literally, this question that Mr. Rogers asked of like, what do you do with the, the mad that you feel? Um, I had a bunch of tiles, like for, you know, retiling a floor or something. And it was a whole case of them. And I took them and I grabbed a buddy of mine and we went outside (laughs) and I named each one and then I just smashed it on the ground. 
and the therapy that it was hearing those tiles smash on the ground. I really highly recommend it. I think it's great. Um, but there was, a, there was a part of that that in that moment of being able to express my anger in that way, it got me down to the feeling that it was actually going on, that I was feeling so much disrespect and that was the presenting emotion, anger, disrespect under it. How can you treat me this way? How can you disrespect me this way? How can you not tell me or tell me or say that or whatever? And I just, it was so bottled up within me. And that in that moment, being able to control something, this tile, I couldn't control the relationship. I couldn't control another person, which by the way, if you haven't figured that out, you can't control other people. Um, <laughs> like I said, I have kids. So it's just, the, the, we could prove it right then and there. But taking that tile and just smashing it was this like, this is something that I can do and that I can control. And I'm curious for you, if, you, if I was just to ask you in the room, do you, are you experiencing any present anger? Or do you remember the thing that had made you so angry in the past that you're like, oh yeah, there was that one situation, that one time of life, or that one thing at work, or that one relationship within our family. And it just was, we, we were so angry about that for years and maybe it's still going on right now. Um, I, I want to be, be sensitive with that, but I also want to ask permission for you just to, to hold some space right now and say, could you bring that up in your memory right now and kind of hold it in your mind? And in that situation, poke at it with these questions. What, what emotion is down below the anger? And then the situation, not what are you trying to control, that might be it, but what do you feel like you can't control? Because a lot of times what happens with our anger is that it ends up manifesting in our bodies. And then if you start thinking about your anger, I might have just asked you, can you think about that anger? Your jaw might have tightened. And you're just like, oh. It seizes up. Your, your fists might start clenching a little bit. And there was, there was a time uh, in my studies when one of our counselors was talking about, yeah, the litmus test of anger is to, to imagine that situation or that person and then to imagine what are your hands doing in that moment. And what, they were, what he was basically saying was like, there's points within our anger where they are clinched and they are ready to just fight or they're ready to, to do something not good <laughs> because we're so angry that our, it's like our response of our bodies is just to say, I'm gonna tighten up in some way, my jaw, my fist, my gut. Something's gonna tighten because I, I'm trying to hold on to something that in this situation feels fairly out of control. And in our anger, we try, to, we try to do that, that there is emotions that are deeper and then there's an effort to control the situation or the people around us. But I think what ends up happening within our anger is that we lose sight of some of the things that Jesus was just saying in this text, that blessed are we, the kingdom is ours, if we're thinking about this being said to brothers and sisters around us, and now in your anger, how you treat each other. When we're talking about anger, there's something deeper and there's a heart a posture where we're feeling in control or out of control, that there's two assumptions that are in our anger that I also wanna look at, not just what it is, but what are the assumptions, and that, that we do to treat the other in a certain way. And the first is we disrespect their divine personhood. That when we're talking about anger and the fact that we're angry at someone else or about something else, when we're talking about anger, we stop having an ability to see them as a person, and we start treating them more like an it. That thing was wrong. What they did was wrong. What they said was wrong. And we end up in our anger, this just kind of gets read in front of us, 
it's hard to see past that filter of anger at the fact that there is a person on the other side created in the image of God who's in their personhood, there is still this image of divinity that's there. And, and even Jesus himself, I like this idea of like, well, how would we treat Jesus in that moment? And going, yeah, we could say, how did we treat Jesus? But Jesus, even being a divine, is also the fully human one. That we recognize his humanity and his divinity, but that's the example of him, I'm the better way, I'm the way. This is the way it is to be human that then we can translate when we look at each other and go, how do I treat others? And if I'm angry with them, am I forgetting their humanity and their divinity, their personhood that is innate in their being and in the way that God has created them? Am I forgetting all of that because I'm so angry, frustrated, I can't control something, something's going wrong, I've been so wronged, I've been so trespassed against, that when we look at them, we use some of these terms like, you idiot, which is from a Greek, this, this is you know, Jesus saying this, like you call them, you idiot. Uh, the Greek word is raka, which is it's an interesting phrase because it's only used this one time in the entire New Testament. Um, it's to the degree where the, the NIV translation doesn't even try to translate it, it just says, you, you know, don't call each other you raka. And it's kind of like, well, now I have to look that up because I don't know what that means. Um, and, and the other translations, they translate idiot, fool, good for nothing, empty head. Um, it's a really fascinating thing because I think what, what Jesus is, some of the underlying part of it that he's getting at is looking at other people when you have that posture of you idiot, you fool, what we're doing is disregarding their divine personhood in that moment. And not just what they did, but who they are. We're speaking a different identity over them than what Jesus has just established is true of us. That we're made, that we're blessed, that we're the light, that we're the salt. We forget all of that and we just say, you idiot. And we disrespect each other's divine personhood in the midst of our anger. And the second thing I think we do is we disregard their personal perspective. We disrespect their person and then we disregard their perspective. And that's when, when he's saying, Jesus is saying, you fool, you stupid person. We stand as judge of our own rightness, our own wounds that we have or the trespasses that we feel and the anger that we hold and the perspective. And then we say that in my anger, my way is the right way and you are so wrong and not do we, not only do we just stand as, I think I'm justified, but then we end up standing as judge and saying, I'm right and you are so completely wrong that we use these ideas of fool, that even in that, what we're speaking over one another, we're, we're disregarding their divine personhood and we're disregarding their perspective, that them as a human have an individual perspective. We do this thing at New Life Downtown called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and it's beautiful for getting people similar language, similar building a culture of healthy discussion, especially in the midst of conflict. And there's a phrase that we use that's called I'm puzzled. Um, have you guys ever used this phrase, I'm puzzled? Nobody uses it. It's like in the material, and I'm like, that's the silliest phrase. Like, who would ever use that? But it is so helpful, because we never use it anywhere else. Whenever we say it, we know exactly what the other person is trying to do. And it is so easy for me, and I, my boss is Jason Jackson now, he's the lead pastor at downtown. It's so easy for me, he says something or he does something and I just don't get it. I don't know why he said it, I don't know why he get it. All I know is that it frustrated me, I disagree, I think I'm right. I have no idea of his perspective, but I think that I'm right and I'm so mad about it. 
And I can come to him with that anger, but we're learning, we're trying to get better, we're trying to mature. This tool of, okay, Jason, instead of coming at you with my anger, I'm gonna come at you with my curiosity right now. I'm puzzled why you did this or why you said that and give you an opportunity to lend your own perspective in it. And even in that movement, what we're dignifying is the fact that someone else could have a perspective that differs, that we don't hold <laughs> the, the trump card of, oh, well, because I think this, obviously I'm right. And in this anger text, Jesus is saying, like, don't call him an idiot, don't call him a fool, because you're in danger of judgment even on yourself. Because in that, I think our limited perspective leads us to make those assumptions and those judgments to disrespect the other person and disregard what they even think. And it's all of this result of this anger because of something deeper going on. And he's warning us, Jesus is, that our own anger leads to judgment and condemnation of others because actually when we make those judgments and those condemnations of others, it puts us in danger of ourselves being judged in the natural, is how Jesus puts it, and then condemned in the eternal. So this is verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment so that their brother or sister, if they say you idiot, you'll be in danger of, and being condemned by the governing council. And if you say you fool, you'll be in danger of the fiery hell. So what do we do with this anger? This is me trying to say, we have this anger and let's talk about where it comes from. But now what do we actually do with it? And Jesus in this moment, he gives us a therefore. And if you've grown up in any church context, you know that when you see therefore, you need to ask what it's there for, right? Yeah. And so he makes this pivot in the middle of the text and it's a really fascinating pivot because he switches the perspective of who's responsible for what in this moment. And at the first, he says, your anger. The first few verses, it's your anger. You're saying, you fool. You're saying this, and I'm warning you against that. And then he makes a pivot in the middle of this section of verses about anger. And he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you. And so the movement that he pivots here isn't, you have this anger. It's now, what happens if they have anger about you? He gives us a warning at the top and then his instruction is basically along the lines of, if you know it, own it. If you know that your brother has something against you, you can't dictate them and say, just stop being angry, just stop it, right? Has that ever worked for anyone? Just telling them, just stop it? Doesn't work. I have three kids, again, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. But he's putting the auspice of power and control on ourselves, which is a really interesting move because even in that, I'm saying our anger is an effort for us to control the situation in some way that feels uncontrollable. But there is a sense of control that is actually biblically prescribed. My apologies on that one. 11 a.m. service is about to start downtown. I forgot to turn that guy off. <laughs> and in, in, our, in our need for control... There's one prescribed control that the Bible actually says control in this way, and that's self-control. That of all the things that we can't control all around us, the Bible prescribes to us, it's even a fruit of the Spirit, to have self-control. And there's this part of that that I think is fascinating because in our anger, I think we attempt to have a control externally. And that's where Jesus is talking about when you're angered, don't curse your brother, don't call him an idiot, don't call him a fool, don't disrespect him, don't disregard him. Therefore, if you know somebody has something against you and he's now pivoting to what control do you have? Have self-control to actually go and do something about it. Therefore, 
If you bring a gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there and first go make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents and so on. And he's, he pivots to what can you do? And I wanna, I wanna make these statements to close here that our participation in this text that Jesus is telling us at this end text is if you know it, own it. That if you know that you have anger issues in yourself, own it, be okay, be curious, go deeper with it. Figure out, why is, where is this coming from? Uh, and instead of grasping for control all around, turn internal, what can I do, what can I own? But also, if you know somebody has something against you, and I think we do this all the time as humans, don't deny it. Oh, no, that's no, it's no big deal. Don't minimize it, just brush it off to the side. That's, that's their issue. They have something against me, that's their issue. It's not my issue. Don't dismiss it and don't self-justify it as though, oh yeah, I know what's going on, but I know why they're wrong. Don't do that. He's giving us this example of the kingdom is yours, it's all of yours. And so if you have the power to act in the midst of anger, in the midst of strife, in the midst of disunity that can tear us apart, in the midst of relationships that are just ramming into each other or are broken or are on the fence, whatever. If you, if, as long as it depends on you, act. So if you know it, own it, and then if you have agency, act on it. If you have the ability to go to your brother, to your sister, to your family member, Go and act on it and seek them and out and, and talk it through. And, and, and if you need help, I, Pastor Joe is here. Pastor Erica is here. We're here to help figure out how do we have healthy conflict? How do we work through some of these things so that at the end, what we're actually doing is seeing the very blessing that God has spoken over us in this Matthew text. We're seeing it played out in the way that we end up treating each other. Not in condemnation, but in love, and this is the whole idea. You're not condemned, you're blessed, you're part of this kingdom. Now in that kingdom, treat each other as human, as divine, as the image of God, the God image carriers, as those who are loved, as those who have received this grace. In that way, treat each other and leave to God what is his. And I, I wanna close with these, that the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' kingdom has come, it's full of mercy, full of grace, full of love, but it only really matters and it only takes root if we love each other like Jesus has loved us. And that's how the gospel and the kingdom is going to come, that he chooses to enact it within us, to us, and then through us, with one another and to the whole world. And so that these things are true, that when we look at the table, when we look at the cross, when we look at Jesus's life, who he was, what he did, how he lived, how he treated us, that that is our example. And so when he sees divinity and humanity, we are likewise called to see the same. That if Jesus himself can look at the best and the worst and see their humanity, but their humanity dignified because of the divinity that was breathed of God's breath of life into them, then we too likewise should remember that when we're dealing even with those who we're angry with. We should see divinity and humanity we should speak blessings of life and not curses of death. That Jesus in this text in Matthew 5, he is speaking life and he's warning against us. Don't say you idiot, don't say you fool. Don't, when I'm speaking life and I'm re-identifying people as that, don't come and speak the opposite. When you see each other in their humanity, also speak blessings of life and not curses of death. When you see situations that you run into that feel out of control, 
seek unity even while surrendering control. I think that's a big one that it's partnered with this last statement I like to seek justice and surrender judgment. That in our anger, so often we want to self-justify our rights to be angry because of the other person's wrong. And in that moment, Jesus shows us this example and we see it every week at the table and at the cross. That he himself laid down his control for the sake of unity and he himself surrendered to the Father his way even in the midst of seeking justice. And he, he encourages us, seek justice, but judgment is his. We will not stand in the end and look at our brothers and sisters and judge their right and their wrong and say, yep, I knew it, you were wrong. I'm greater than, you're less than. I obviously knew and you're obviously an idiot. We will all stand before Jesus. We are called here and now to seek justice while surrendering judgment unto the one who's the true judge. And that's why we come back to the table every week to recognize God, that you've done this, that you've spoken your blessings, that you've brought your life, that you've given us dignity, that you've, you've created our humanity in your image, that we're carriers of your presence, and now the way that we treat one another matters. So we'll respect one another, we'll dignify one another, we'll speak life to one another and not curses. And then at this space at the table, as Pastor Joe comes up to lead us to the table, it's a place where we surrender again, saying, God, I'm not gonna hold on to my own right and my own right to anger. I'm gonna even surrender that to you because you didn't hold, over that. You didn't hold that over me. You were right to be angry with me, God, but you gave me mercy instead of judgment. And that that then is how he pivots our heart condition towards one another, Pastor Joe. Thanks, Evan. Would you stand with me? And as you um, get your elements that we have in the baskets below next to your seats, uh, the elements there. And New Life Manitou celebrates an open table. So anyone in here that wants to put your hope and your faith in Jesus, you are invited to receive these elements with us. And at the top of the um, cup is a piece of bread and this is a holy mystery of I just found the Christ. Basket. When he, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he took it, he broke it. And so if you want, you can break this bread mm. in your fingers because his body was broken for us. And every week we get together and we receive these elements. And it's, it's like a time where we spiritually take into our life his body and his blood. This is the hope that we have, that he will fill us mm. with his divine goodness, his divine grace. So would you take the bread? Would you receive it with me? Jesus also took a cup. If you take these cups, we remember that Christ's blood was shed for us. His life was poured out so that we could have grace and mercy, this divine mystery of his grace inside of us. So would you lift this cup? Would you look at it and then receive it with me? So Lord, we thank you as we sing this last song. Lord, we honor you with our lives. We honor you with this time. We're so grateful that you're filling us with grace and mercy. So Lord, we praise you. We worship you in the name of the Father 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit.